Would you join me in uh, Obadiah? We'll read the uh, verses 1 through 21, all the way through. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though, you're so, though you soar aloft like the eagle, though you, your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. Uh, though, uh, they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount, uh, Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of, his, of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they have never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there, there, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of, of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zephorath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in the Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go 
go up to Mount Zion and rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. All right, good, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at? Can you raise your hands up for me? All right, so today you guys get to do something cool that is different than any other Sunday at BC. You get to go home uh, and go about your day and tell people that you learned about an entire Old Testament book. All right, Mr. Silas, he just, he just read a whole book of the Bible, Obadiah. It's the, the shortest Old Testament book there is. Uh, there's only like 440 words in it. So it's pretty, it's pretty short. Um, but what I think we can learn from, especially, especially for kids, what I think that we can learn from, from Obadiah this morning, this book is all about the fact that there are these, these two groups of people he talks about a lot. He talks about this, this group named Edom, and then he talks about Israel. And what you need to know about Edom and Israel is that they're both people and countries. They're people, Jacob and Esau, or Israel and Edom, uh, that were brothers, and then they and their, their heritage create these, these two countries, Israel and Edom. And so they're kind of like, like cousins. They're, these are countries that are, that are related to each other. And one of the things we've learned as we've gone through the minor prophets is that God is going to punish his people Israel. He's going to pour out judgment on them. And Obadiah is talking about the fact that that judgment has come. And Edom, the, the, the people that, that should have cared about Israel, when that judgment falls, instead of caring about Israel, they, they mistreat them pretty badly. They, they take advantage of them and their pain and suffering. They, they, they kind of turn them over to the bad guys. And the reason why I think that, that matters, or the reason why that matters to me, is because what that tells me about God is that God cares about how his people are treated. He cares, he cares about me when I'm mistreated. He cares about you when you're mistreated. And, and the entire book of Obadiah is him telling his people, hey, I saw what happened to you, and it bothered me, and I care, and I'm going to take action because of it. And so that, that's encouraging to us because that means that, that when we're mistreated, we can have confidence that, that we have a God who, who loves us, who cares about us, who wants better for us, and is taking action for that to take place. And so kids, this, this week, when you go out and, and, and things happen in your life, people are, are mean to you or rude to you or mistreat you, know that, that God cares about that. And he cares for you in those situations. And, and be encouraged that you have a Father in heaven who, who sees that and loves you in the midst of that. Parents, go home and, and talk to your kids more about that. Help them, help them process the mistreatment and suffering that happens in our lives and, and how God is active in our lives through that. Let's, let's pray, and we'll get into Obadiah this morning. Father, we thank you that you do see and you do care about us as your people, that you're not... Uh, aloof. You're not far off. You're not, not distant and impersonal, but you are, are actively involved in the details of our lives and that you care about what happens to us. We pray this morning as we, as we learn from Obadiah together that you would, you would send your spirit to, to encourage us, to, to, to build us up, to, to increase our faith in, in who you are and what you've done for us, and also to stir the love that we have for you. 
We pray that you would, you would draw us deeper uh, into relationship with Jesus and, and conform us more into his image this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, earlier this week, Matt sent me a message, and he was like, hey, what's, kinda what's, what's the sermon on? What's the topic? Uh, and I said, it's Obadiah, and it's, you know, the minor prophets. So it's like judgment and, and a little restoration. Um, kind, of, kind of joking, like it's just, it's just more, more of the same. Um, and I think that that last song, uh, which, is, which is kind of a downer, like really, really captures the essence of the minor prophets quite well. Like you, you sing that song and you think like, I don't, I don't want that. Right? I, I don't want to pray for faith and grace if that's how God is going to answer it. But then you get to the end and you're like, wait, I, I, I do want that. And I think that, that that's, that's what we see happening in the Minor Prophets. Is, is no one would, would pick to go through the things that God's people go through in the Minor Prophets. No one would, would, would decide to say, I, I want to experience God this way. No one want to experience his justice in these ways. But, but what God is doing is he's, he's preserving his people. He's growing his people. He's bringing them back to himself through all these uh, circumstances. And I think we see that pretty clearly in Obadiah, where in the midst of him pouring out judgment on his people, he comes back to say, hey, the way these people treated you was not okay. And I'm going to take action in this regard. And then he, he gives them hope in the midst of their circumstances. And so I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by Obadiah, and I hope that, hope that you will be too this morning as we go through it. So the first thing that we get in this book is that it's this vision from this guy named Obadiah. And we don't really know anything about him. The only thing we know about him is his name is Obadiah. And Obadiah means uh, one who serves Yahweh. It's a pretty common name in the Old Testament, and so that makes identifying this particular Obadiah pretty, pretty difficult, right? There's some guy named Obadiah. He had this vision. We also know that something about the time in which he's writing, and so uh, we're, we're, we're jumping forward in time again in the Minor Prophets. Amos was around kind of 760 BC. Uh, Obadiah is a couple hundred years later, and so as we've been going through the Minor Prophets, we've been flipping back and forth. So uh, Hosea was, was pre-722 BC. Joel was after 586 BC. Amos was 760. Obadiah is somewhere between 586 in 553 BC. We know that because of, because of two things that Obadiah talks about. There, there are kind of two main events that happen in the book of Obadiah as he gives this vision. The first thing is that he talks about the fall of Jerusalem, the, the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonian. He talks about that as if it's a past event, something that's already taken place. The fall of Jerusalem took place uh, in 586 BC. The second event that Obadiah talks about is the destruction of Edom, also at the hands of the Babylonians. That happened sometime around 553 BC, and Obadiah talks about it as something that hasn't happened yet. So it's someplace after 586, sometime before 553. And, and, and the reason why that matters for us is it helps us kind of understand what's going on for the people of God. Obadiah is writing after the judgment that, that Hosea and Amos talked about takes place. So it's, it's fallen 
stolen on the people of God. The Babylonians came in. They, they, they wiped them out. First, Assyria came in and kind of took out the northern kingdom. They scattered them all among the nations. Then later, the Babylonians come into to the southern kingdom, to Judah and Jerusalem. And they, you know, pretty much demolish everything. They kill a bunch of people. And they kind of take the best and the brightest off into exile. So that's already taken place. And Obadiah is writing to the people of God in exile. And I think that the purpose of Obadiah is to do two things for the people of God in exile. The first is to announce judgment for Edom, right? to tell the people of God that the God saw how Edom treated them during the Babylonian conquest and to kind of encourage them in spite of that. And the second thing is to deliver a good news message of hope to the people of God in exile, that God is going to restore them. God is going to bring them back after the judgment has fallen on them. And so the the first 16 verses of Obadiah, they're focused on Edom, on kind of what happened with them. So the first thing we find out from Obadiah is that there's this report about Edom that's kind of gone out to the nations. Their, Their actions have been made known to the nations around them, and the response is kind of this this call to to arms. People are are bothered by what the Edomites did to Israel, to Judah and Jerusalem. And so the Lord is going to make them small and despised among the nations. Because of their pride, they're going to become a source of shame. Uh, He says that he talks about them kind of being up in the mountains. Edom was a place that was was up in the mountains. It was elevated and it was inaccessible because of that. It made it a place that was tough to conquer. And so because of that, the Edomites had a lot of pride. They think like no one one is going to get us. We're we're way too difficult to conquer. But the Lord makes it clear that he's going to bring them down. He's going to make them low. And then he begins to tell them what their destruction is going to be like. What's going to happen to them? He says, uh, he talks about the thieves and the plunderers. Normally, they leave something behind. They don't, they don't take everything. Grape gatherers, they don't get every grape off the vine. They leave some for others. But Edom is not going to be like that. They're going to be completely pillaged. They're going to be utterly destroyed. He says, all of their treasures will be taken. Their allies are going to deceive them. Their friends are going to set a trap for them. And on the day of their destruction, the Lord will destroy the wise men out of Edom. Understanding is going to be gone from the land. The the mighty men will be dismayed. and, And every man will be cut off by slaughter. So their destruction is going to be total. They think they're untouchable, but but God is going to take them out. Now in verse 10, we find out why this is going to happen. Why is God going to do this to Edom? It says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So Edom, they they did something to Israel. We we haven't found out what that is yet. They know because it happened to them, but, but we're going to find this out. So look at verse 11. He says, on that day, you stood aloof. Right? So instead of showing compassion to these people that were suffering, they're, they're, they're cold, they're distant, they're, they're far off. It says that strangers carried off their wealth. They didn't just stand by, they were, they were one of them. They, they participated in it. The Lord warns them not to, to gloat or rejoice. He says that they shouldn't boast in the day of Israel's distress. He warns them specifically not to enter the city or or gloat over the disaster of their calamity. But it goes further at the end of verse 13 and 14. It says, Do not loot loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. 
So he's telling us Edom did a, a whole lot more than just boast and gloat about what happened to the people of Israel. They, they actively participated. They, they looted the city. They, they cut off ways of escape. They handed survivors over to Babylon. So they were out there kind of rounding people up and, and turning them in. This shouldn't have been their behavior. Why? Why shouldn't they have acted like this? Why shouldn't they treat the people of God like this? Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. His point is that judgment is coming. And they should have known better. He says, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. He talks about them drinking in the city. Right, they celebrated with drinking in Jerusalem when, when they looted and plundered the people of God. But he says, all the nations will drink continually and a drink from the cup of judgment as God pours it out on them on the day of the Lord. And the result for Edom will be as if they, they never even existed. So Edom, the, the issue here at hand is that instead of showing compassion, instead of comforting the people of God, instead of coming alongside them as, as family in the day of their distress, they, they, they profited off them. Right? They helped them be carried off into exile into Babylon. They, they, were, they were cold, they boasted, they, they celebrated, uh, they, they participated in the destruction. And the result is that Edom is going to experience the same exact fate. Right, as they have done, it's going to be done to them. Babylon's going to conquer them, and no one is going to come to their aid. But there's a shift in verse 17. He, he, he moves to start talking about something else. He says, in Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. So, so some of God's people are going, to, are going to make it through this judgment. He says, it'll be holy that the house of Jacob will possess their own possessions. God is going to, going to restore them. He's going, to, he's going to bring them back. He's going to give them what rightfully belongs to them. There'll be a fire and Edom will be stubble that, that's burned and consumed. So God's people, they're, they're, they're exiled into faraway places. And he, and he talks about all those cities, all those locations. They're, they're to the east. They're, they're, they're around the place that he's talking about. And he's saying that they're going to be brought back. And he begins to talk about the borders. He, he's, he specifically mentioned the, the places that are the, kind of the furthest borders of the promised land to the people of God. So he's saying he's going to bring them back from far away. And he's going to expand what belongs to them. And that God's people will rule under him as king in his kingdom. This is what's going to take place. This is what Obadiah's vision is. He, he, he sees the people of Edom destroyed, and he sees the people of God restored to what God has for them. And so this, this is a short book. The, the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's the, the fourth shortest book in the Bible. Only, only 440 words. But I think these 440 words have a whole lot to tell us about who our God is. First, we see that, that even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of this judgment that God himself has poured out on his people, he cares about how they are treated. Right? As, as image bearers of God, we are called to, to compassion for people. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter who they are. Because we have God's image, because they have God's image, we are called to compassion for them. We're not 
those that stand off and are aloof and cold and distant. We should care. And we certainly shouldn't try to profit off of the suffering of others. We should be moved to to acts of love and kindness when we see people in pain. Edom didn't do that. And God holds them accountable for it. The second thing I think we see in Obadiah, like once again in the Minor Prophets, we see that God doesn't let sin go unpunished. Like Edom is held accountable for their actions. And, And 33 years later, they're destroyed because of it. The third thing we see is that even in the midst of their suffering, right, God's people are off in exile. They've been judged because they didn't repent, because they didn't return to the Lord. But but even in that situation, God sends his people this this vision through Obadiah. He he raises up a prophet, a messenger, to give them this message of hope. He he shows them that he still cares for them as his people, that that he cares what Edom did to them, that he's going to hold them accountable, that they're going to experience judgment because of what they've done. He shows them that, that... There's reason to hope that even though they're far off, he's going to bring them back. He's going to restore them to the land. They're going to be his people again. They're suffering. They're they're grieving. They're they're in exile, but they're still his people. And he uses Obadiah to remind them of that. He promises to send saviors to Mount Zion. He tells them that that deliverers are going to come, that are going to bring them back. And ultimately, right, for us, this this message of hope to them, it it points to Jesus. He's coming in the future to to bring God's kingdom, bring it in his fullness. And even though we can look back on, on what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf, I think that this book particularly encourages us to look forward. Pretty much, pretty much all of Scripture. Like, I want to I say most, just to kind of hedge. But I'm going to say pretty much all of Scripture. I'm just going to say all of Scripture. Okay? Later, you can come up and show me the verse that doesn't do this, and I'll be like, I'm wrong. But I think all of Scripture is a message of hope that promises that things will get better in the future. Right? It's God saying, like, things are going to get better because of what he is going to do. And so for us, like them, we are waiting. They're waiting for what God is going to do. We're waiting for what God is going to do. One day, we will be with Jesus in his kingdom, and and, and everything will be set right. All things will be made new. Everything that's broken is going to be fixed. No sin like them. We have a whole lot to look forward to. But that truth that the Bible looks forward to a better future also cuts both ways for us. Because if a lot of the Bible's message is promising a a better future because what what God is going to do, we can't miss the fact that we live in the future fulfillment of a lot of those promises. Right? We already get a whole lot of the stuff that the Bible is looking forward to. And I think that's important for us to realize. I know it's important for me to realize. Because we as people have this this really bad habit of, of living our lives thinking that things will get better 
once we get past whatever season we're in. Right? Like once, once work slows down, things will get better. Once the kids are older, things will get better. Once we get everybody potty trained, things will be better. And like, right, things, things do get better. I'm not saying they don't. Uh, but the problem with always wanting our current circumstances to get better is that we rarely, if ever, look back on the ways in which they already have. Right, the, pro- the problem with, with always looking off to a better future is that we fail to see the ways in which we live in a better future. Right, we, we want to look forward and cling to the promises of God that, that we have yet to experience. Right, we want Jesus to come back. But we don't want that, that future hope to cause us to miss the ways in which God has already done so much in our lives. Right, sure, Absolutely, 100%. It will be phenomenal to be one day fully done, not just with one specific struggle with sin, but all struggle with sin. Like that, That's going to be amazing. It's going to be so amazing that, that even saying that, even thinking about that, we, we don't know what that means. Because, because we're too broken to, to get that. But at the same time, we need to look back on our lives and realize the ways in which God has already given us so much victory over sin. His spirit has grown you and transformed you and made you more like Jesus than you were when he saved you. You've grown. It'll be fantastic when sickness doesn't exist anymore. Right? When we don't have the, the sniffles and the allergy things that seem to last forever in the Midwest. But we can't overlook the fact that God has, has already healed and provided for us and others so many ways in the past. Right? We, we get a headache and we take Tylenol and we feel better and we forget that it worked. We do the same thing with God in our lives all the time. We pray, we ask him to move, we ask him to do things, and he does, and then we go on about our lives waiting for the next thing without realizing he's, he's doing stuff in our lives. He's, he's growing us, he's sanctifying us, he's giving us joy, he's, he's answering our prayers, and we need to look forward with hope to what he has yet to do. But we also need to remember all the things that he's done for us in the past. And I think that what we need to do this better is people outside of ourselves. Right? Because we are bad about seeing these things for ourselves. Either we think that we're doing way too poorly or we think we're doing way too well. And so we need the people around us to encourage us, to build us up, to tell us about the ways in which they've seen God grow us and change us, the ways in which they see God working in our lives, the ways in which God has used them in our lives to grow us in our faith. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us like Obadiah comes alongside the people of God to say, hey, this is who your God is. This is what he's doing. This is what, who you are as his people. We need others outside of us to tell us 
about who our God is and about who we are as his people. So God didn't send us Obadiah. Right? The people of God in the Old Testament get him. And mercifully, he gives them the shortest prophecy there is. But he sent us each other. So I think for us, the application is, is to go out and, and be like Obadiah. Don't announce judgment on Edom, because that's already happened. But instead, tell the people around you about who God is and about who they are as his people, right? Preach the good news to them about the ways in which God has, has grown them and changed them and used them in your life so that they have more confidence and hope and faith and what God is going to do because they're reminded of all the ways in which he's already done so much for you and for them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you sent your people, Obadiah, that you used his prophecy, that you, you gave him words to encourage your people in exile, to remind them that you care about how your people are treated, that you see when they're mistreated and, and, it, and it bothers you, and that you take action. Father, we thank you that you sent Obadiah to remind your people not just of, of who you are, but also of who they are as your people. That you care for us. That you are always bringing us back. And so we pray this morning that you would send your spirit to help us to be reminded and to remind one another of who you are and what you've done for us. Not just in, in, in the big acts of redemption in our life, but also in the small ones, in, in the day-to-day, -day, in the ways in which you've grown us that, that we have just failed to notice. That you would help us as people to be encouraging to one another that we would build one another up and help each other to draw closer to you. Jesus, we thank you for, for all you've accomplished on our behalf. And we look forward with hope to all you've yet to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.